This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guest are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed, strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. Rhys Roberts is the CEO of Align Group, who operates seven farms, a market garden, and are vertically integrated with a yoghurt brand and milk processing facility. Rhys is ambitious. He likes to break the mould and loves sharing the lessons he learns on the way for the benefit of the New Zealand farming sector. He received the 2022 New Zealand Zander McDonald Award and is one of those people that really challenges your thinking. In this episode, we look into what were some of the key drivers around the Align Farms doing a regenerative trial, what they've learned so far and what success looks like. We talk about a reductionist approach versus a curious approach and deriving value from food products is not as easy as we may all think. I could have talked to Reese for hours. He has so many unique perspectives. Enjoy this episode. Hi, Reese. Great to have you with us. How are you getting on down in Canterbury? Very good. Thanks, Katie. It's a real privilege to be able to jump on here and have a chat. And uh, been following some of the others have been great. So excited to have the opportunity. And Canterbury's great. It's like an early summer down here at the moment. It looks like we might have to irrigate some pastures. It's been quite dry and sunny. So that's quite interesting. So all as well. We've had a great carving, so good. Good. There seems to be a bit of a theme here with me interviewing Zander McDonald finalists or winners in your case that have also made it onto country calendar. I feel like I'm sort of a bit old news doing these podcasts post you guys being on the on the big screen, but so cool to see your story shared. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, and I think we've had some fantastic country calendars this year. It's been um, one of the bag and you always get a range of different types of uh, shows and themes. But this year has been really great to show some young and upcoming uh, farmers and food producers. And I've, I've really enjoyed this season's shows. It's been great. That's been awesome. Race. before we get into it, could you just give us a little bit of insight as to who you are and your career to date, like, and maybe even just some insight into your role in Align Farms and who Align Farms are. Yeah, no worries. So, born and bred in the Waikato, moved, moved to the South Island about 16 years ago. I met my wife. Uh, we now have uh, two children. Uh, my wife, Kerry, she's a farm manager on one of our properties. So, my wife and I are pretty involved in the Align business or the Align group. Uh, and a bit of my role to get here, we went sharemoking quite young and decided to do an OE. So, we sold up and went offshore and when we come back a line was just starting in its first years so we've been with them 10 years now started as a farm manager and around seven years ago took on a CEO role which has kind of progressed into the Align group now which is made up of the farming business and the milk factory side as well so we've got our own brands and milk factory that process products into the uh, supermarkets so getting to where I've got to today has been probably right place right time right attitude and really rode the wave of growth within the Align Group, which um, you know, has been great for both parties, I think. I hope so. Of course it would have been. And so race dairy farms? 
Yeah, so we've got the six dairy farms. We milk about 5,000 cows and we've got four dairy support farms. So we're relatively self-contained. We grow not the majority of our own barley, but most of our supplements are grown in-house. We winter all our own cows uh, and young stocks. So, yeah, it's about 2,100 hectares all of mid-Canterbury between the Rangitata and the Rakaia rivers. So we're right in the heart of mid-Canterbury. Awesome. I'm quite keen to explore on this episode a bit about the Align Group's journey and into looking at the regenerative farming element. Like I know that you guys are running some trials at the moment, a four-year sort of trial around conventional and regenerative. So I'm quite keen to sort of unpick some of that with you. What were some of the key drivers to begin that journey? Well, I think the first key driver that started to lead us down trying to change what we do, you know, pre-farm gate, I guess as a business, we're pre and post-farm gate. And that was a really, really poignant moment in our business when we moved from being a pre and post farm gate business. So I guess when you're just a pre farm gate, you're sent off to Fonterra and Sinlays and the Westlands of the world. You're effectively just producing white milk. You send it off. You know, you may partner with a couple of businesses that you quite like. A2 is a prime example, and it's quite accretive or just value add. It's just how can we do a little bit more from our milk? Whereas when we moved into the post farm gate, we thought it would be quite accretive but what we soon found quite quickly was to make it in that game as a small niche player in New Zealand we needed to be transformational so that's where the regenerative started Uh, originally we looked at organic Um, we just felt that organic was a little bit restrictive on our farming business so we looked at regenerative it was more of an inclusive and it gave us more options as that kind of grew I've become more interested in climate resilience and uh, or, or a changing climate and how can we adapt our farming business to take advantage of a changing climate. So at the start of the show, I talked about irrigating in August. This is quite unusual, but there are some real big benefits from that. We're getting improved growth rates. So I guess that's a big one. And then fundamentally, we the reason for the trial was we didn't want to be a business that went off chasing fairies and sparkles and talked about all the great outcomes and from regenerative, we wanted to be able to say, hey, look, this is what's worked, this is what hasn't. And there was no real competitive edge for us keeping that data. So we want to be transparent with that data. And that's hopefully what we're known for. Awesome. And what are you hoping to achieve by the end of it? Like, I mean, obviously, the data sharing and being able to compare the two systems, but are you looking to gain more market access, market premiums? Like, What's like success look like for you? There's two sides to that. So in our like the FMCG side of our business, we want to be New Zealand's leaders and better for you, better for the planet dairy products, whether that's domestically and globally. So that's the market we want to dominate. We can do the milk side of it. We can do the meat side of it. There's other opportunities that we can tap into. So good for you, good for the planet is the area we want to dominate, especially in New Zealand. So we want to be first to market there. So we're really actively growing there. In the trial side, I guess we're at a diversion in the industry at the moment where we're all looking at what the next 20 years looks like. And I guess a lot of farmers are saying, hey, we're going to get more efficient and we're going to do more from less, et cetera. And then there's the other crowd that's going, hey, look, we're going to put even less inputs in. We're going to do less production, but we're going to, you know, so we wanted to be there saying, hey, look, here's both sides of that. And you guys choose the data from there. So we haven't really made up our mind what the future looks like for aligned farms. We know we want to, dominate in the um, 
dominates quite a rough word to use, but yeah, you, you get my drift. I love it. I was literally just thinking, I love how he's <laughs> using this word dominate. You're going to dominate everything. Ho- hopefully, global domination is just the ultimate. <laughs> no, that's a joke. Yeah. But we really want to, uh, we want to nail that good for you, good for the planet and be a niche provider to people that value that. That's, that's where we want to operate. But the trial's really about, it's hard for me to go to other of our managed and shared milk farms and say, hey, look, let's all go regenerative without having the data behind it. And I got a little bit frustrated with some of the data was really inconsistent. Uh, it was either really largely biased both ways versus the reasons why you shouldn't do it versus the reasons why you should. I thought, well, let's scrap all this bias. Let's be completely transparent. And it's been harder than we thought it would be. It's been quite hard to put our data out there because there are a lot of people that should be the Prime Minister or President of America telling you how to run your farm these days where <laughs> they haven't done it, but they're willing to tell you how you should do it. And that's been quite hard, uh, a lot harder mm. than we thought. But So we want to just showcase our data. And we kind of feel if you're going to put the tag regenerative on any data set, you need to be going for at least 10, maybe 15 years. Like two years of data regeneratively means not a lot really. 10 to 15 means a lot. 20 years means even more. So when you say it's been hard to show your data because obviously everyone's got an opinion on everything these days, how have you managed that? It's a great question, something that I probably haven't looked at how we've managed it. I guess we've just got used to it and we've learned to understand and, and learn from people's views and opinions. And I guess everyone has a perspective and everyone has a reason why they've come to that perspective. So I want to find what the learning is in that perspective and grow from that. So you know, my farming style is I'm pro-data, you know, so I'm not pro-regen or pro-conventional, I'm not pro-science, I'm not pro-feel, touch and feel, I'm pro-data. So I really struggled early on when farm consultants in particular come on farm and they just absolutely bombarded us with the science and et cetera of what they were trying to work out why these things were happening, where for us we were just trying to provide the data we were kind of got stuck between are we trying to solve why this is happening or are we just trying to tell everyone this is happening? And that's been quite challenging. So I guess we've always said our space is to show people what happens. And we're probably more interested. A lot of people come on farm and they say, if you applied 30 units of N, you'd probably still be relatively regenerative, but you'd make more money. And I don't necessarily disagree with that comment, but we're more interested now, what happens if we don't apply 30 units of N for 10 years? That's more interesting to myself and I believe to the wider community of what happens if we don't do something rather than what happens if we do. That's changed a wee bit over time. And to answer your question, we've just got used to the fact that everyone's got an opinion and everyone, if you listen and, and slow down, every opinion's valid. Yeah, and I guess like every, everyone's perspective has got some depth behind it and kind of their beliefs or their understanding is valid, I suppose. Okay, so let's talk practically now. What does this practically look like running two different systems? What are you doing differently? How do your staff manage it? What does that look like? So I guess a lot of people feel that if you go to a regenerative farm and anywhere globally, the farm manager will be wearing canvas shoes canvas shorts, you know, a hippie jacket and there'll be sunflowers everywhere. I can confirm it looks nothing like that. I can also confirm because I'm looking at you and you don't have a sunflower near you. So Yeah, yeah. However, we have grown sunflowers before and I call them propaganda crops, you know, because they are great for like, they make a great Facebook photo and they do attract crowds that we get schools out when we do grow them. People do really, really appreciate, you know, some of those hyper-diverse crops. However, 
what we've found really surprising is it actually doesn't look that much different. You know, we, we have more diversity in our pastures uh, and I guess we're relying a lot more on capturing the sunlight uh, to produce the nitrogen and also uh, we are applying generally organic forms of products to try and stimulate soil uh, and that's the key part with regenerative farming I guess a lot of people try and define it and try and say hey what does it look like where 99% of regenerative farming is just understanding the soil and trying to improve and regenerate the soil um, so it, I guess it's hard to see that like for an example, I've been farming for 20 years. I'm just new to the game and I never owned a spade until our first regenerative trial. Well, that's pretty scary considering soil is everything when it comes to you know food production. Uh, that was quite an interesting insight. So a lot of farmers come here, they look at some of our diverse paddocks now. They haven't had you know urea and synthetic chemicals for five years now. And they think, well, this isn't actually too far away from what my paddocks look like. And they they're starting to, in my eyes, take note and um, they're not converting their whole farm to it in any way, but there are farmers that are doing one or two paddocks and starting to learn. So, yeah, certainly what you think it looks like, it doesn't look like. It just looks like a normal farm. The trial part's a bit different because we're running two systems. I guess one side we're trying to be a capitalist, on the other side we're trying to be an environmentalist, and that has its challenges. Uh, I think we probably handicap both sides in the trial. We're probably not doing either side as well as we could. And we're starting to get that feedback from some of our avid uh, listeners and watchers that uh, they would like to compare our data with a more conventional farm and a more regenerative farm so they actually can see how we're tracking within those systems. Uh, we don't do either system well. We probably cap about 100 milk solids to the hectare on both sides because we can't do both sides as well as what we would like. However, it is a true and accurate trial. There's no data that's hidden. The only data that's not there really is probably how much debt we've got and someone really wanted to know that, we'd, we'd tell them. But um, at the end of the day, it's all there and we try to just put it out there. So the trial has its limitations, but we've tried to iron out as much of the bias and also the management systems to try and make sure that they're accurate. And we're also, go back to my point, we're more interested now in what happens if we don't do something. Like what happens if we don't regrass a paddock for 10 years rather than trying to fix the problem that we already know we have within the regenerative system. So that's quite interesting. Yeah, and I guess like at the end of the day, like it's a business decision that you guys have made and you're just willing to share the insights and the data that you're getting from that. So like what you want to look at is totally up to you versus like industry or whoever being like, can you show us X, Y, and Z. Reese, how have your staff found it? Yeah, no, it's good. Look, I think some of our really real innovative uh, ground-up innovations within our business, i.e. like the Market Gardens probably being one that's been a real, real successful initiative. That's, you know, like I go back about three years ago, and I remember we went to the Regen Farm and we said, hey, look, it's... um." We want to feed the team better. How can we do it? And they come up with this grand plan where they're going to put a garden on farm, they're going to have a chicken thing going around the cows. And we eventually said, well, instead of one person doing it, why don't we just bring it to one hub and we'll we'll manage it accordingly? And I remember going to one of the conventional farms and, you know, their comment was, oh, you know, we're going to do Domino's pizzas on Friday and wouldn't it be good if the staff paid for it? And I was like, wow, you know, like the thinking, I think, has expanded on the back of having more freedom. I guess they look at the business uh, and say, hey, look, there's more freedom of thought here and they think a bit bigger. So, More creativity, eh? Yeah, yeah. And I, I really admire that for the team, but I'll tell you one thing. They 
absolutely hate the troll. <laughs> right. It just doubles up everything. So, you know, at the moment they're halfway through carving, they got two dry mobs, two springer mobs, two colostrum mobs, two milking mobs. You know, it just makes life hard. And if they had their way, they would scrap it tomorrow to be well, they would have scrapped it a couple of years ago. But we've we've slowly um and it's a real credit to the manager uh, and the team. They've come a long way and they've, I guess they embrace the opportunity a lot more now. We're at the start, they looked at all the downsides to it. Now they look at all the upsides to it. And um, the bit they've struggled the most with the team has been the exposure. All, every piece of their data goes on the website every week. Yeah, it gets scrutinised. Yeah, and that's quite hard because, you know, we all know farming, if it very rarely goes right. And you really, you always strive for this perfect season. Like I do it too. I'm like, this season's the one, you know, it's like the Warriors. It's like, this is the one. And it's never the one. The Warriors. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess like you're dealing with a biological system, right? Like it's never going to be black and white. Like trials are amazing and like what you're doing is fantastic, but like there is always going to be variables and because you're dealing with a biological system, you know, like you're going to get more rain, less rain, more sun, less sun, all that sort of stuff. Now, we've definitely had a good start to this year, so this is the one, I believe. This year, Mark this down in your calendar, Katie. This, this year is, it, is the people. one. This is people. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned from the process so far? I think uh, at a macro level, one of the, the early lessons we made is how tunnel-visioned we, we became in agriculture. We got very, very good at this, like, reductionist approach. Uh, and, like, if you had said to me, five years ago that we would be farming 150 hectares of the aligned group without urea. Like I would have thought Katie's whacked, you know, like she's someone I'm going to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) She's someone I'm going to avoid on the street, you know. That that, that doesn't happen, you know. And so I look back now, we've done that for five years straight. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's been a roaring success, but it's certainly not been a roaring failure. So for me, I guess we got very, very in tune with this commercial, conventional, let's just absolutely go hell to leather on making every last centimetre of our farm the most profitable piece it could be. And we got very input driven. So that was a big lesson for us is, you know, it's not saying that that's wrong because it's certainly not. There's fantastic science out there that is the reason why New Zealand is is at the leading edge of agriculture. And I think, you know, it's around taking the learnings from both sides the other one was probably diverse pastures. We thought regenerative farming at the start was sunflowers and all the fancy seeds and, you know, and, and going down that road. And we soon realised that, that that wasn't that sustainable and um, that wasn't regenerative farming. So I guess we've settled back on maybe eight to nine species rather than 29 species. Uh, and we're getting fantastic results from eight to nine species. Uh, and that's working really well for us. So that's been a great lesson. And then the other lesson I think that we've taken out of it is the whole adding value to a product and then getting a consumer to pay for that is relatively challenging. So people say regenerative farm, well the farming side is bloody simple, like that's the easy part. The actual hard part is actually turning that into a consumer product that someone values uh, and then putting it in front of those consumers at enough mass that they actually pay for it to make it economical. So you know, everyone vote, um, goes into the supermarket, you know, with their wallet and, you know, comes out with the calculator. We haven't really nailed that piece yet. We're, we're trying as hard as we can. And I think we will nail it. We, we will learn and we'll keep prototyping. We will um, find that opportunity. But one of our brands is in every supermarket in New Zealand. We've got what they call 83% numerical distribution. We're in 83% of the stalls that matter. 
And that takes 74,000 milk solds. So to put it in context, we do about 2.5 million milk solds at a line. So, you know, these growing on that we need to value add, like one road of mid-Canterbury would flood the whole supermarket chain New Zealand for dairy. You know, it's quite an interesting argument around how do we create more value through our products. And you can see why we've gone down this incremental route, just adding a little bit more to milk powder, et cetera, et cetera. To be transformational, that's been harder than what we gave it credit for. They are probably the three big ones. Uh, one is, you know, we are quite limited in our in our views and, and we're quite tunnel visioned. Secondly, you know, diverse pastures, I'm a big fan of it. Conventionally or regenerative, I believe we need to get more diversity into our pastures. I'm not saying 29 species, I'm saying maybe nine, eight to nine. And thirdly, you know, adding value to products in New Zealand with our consumer base, the distance to consumers is actually very, very challenging. Can you tell us what your brand is, your supermarket brand? Oh, Cyclops is the key one. That's the key one that we use. Um, however, we are bringing a new product, uh, a new brand to market. We're just currently right at the end of that. So watch this space. Yeah, um, that that's the one that we're really going to link up with the farms. So we're probably, us and maybe one or two others, are the only brand in New Zealand that have the farms, the factory and the brand. You know, there's a lot that have the farms and the brand and not the factory, or they have the factory and the brand but not the farm. So we feel, although it's been tough, we feel we've got a really, really great opportunity here that we want to exploit. Yeah, dominate. And, dominate, yeah. Um, that's so interesting about the value piece because obviously from a macro perspective, like we talk about that a lot in the, the New Zealand egg industry, like how do we – get more value from what we're producing because we're doing it really well and then we go into the commodity market and, you know, like the environment we're in today like it just shows our reliance on some key markets and when they don't want to want anything from us, it impacts us massively. So it's a really interesting insight to hear you say that it's much harder than you'd expect. And I think I'm quite keen for your perspective also on whether you think the, you know, the value add of this has been grown regeneratively or whatever that word is, is that just going to become expected of us? Yeah. Oh, I think it is. Yeah, I think it probably already is too. If you really peel back the onion, we, we already expected New Zealand to be clean, green and, um, you know, top of the league. So, you know, there's certainly some challenges there. But I would say there are consumers out there that really, really value climate clear and um, regenerative or ethically produced products. Um, so I think that's a consumer that we're looking to go after. And probably the challenge isn't so the consumers are there. The challenge that needs to be unlocked is how do we get enough product to those consumers at the right place? So you look at it, you might go to a Whole Foods, but you just don't get enough to go to that store to make it economical, Like you know, especially in New Zealand. like I don't know what the stats that go through countdown a day, but it's probably a million people go through countdown a day or something like that. That's what you need to get 15% of them. We'd get 150,000 people. But we don't get one million going through a little boutique store in the middle of Timaru, do we? So it's really challenging to get those consumers. So, but then, like an example, like just thinking personally, like I'd buy. Well, I'm like privileged enough to be in a position where I can buy Bostock chicken because, nice. like for me, I'm like I would rather that than something else, and Granted. I'm willing to pay for that. And they're in our supermarket. So is it yeah. different because there's more competition? Or? No, 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 no. I certainly feel like one argument is what is Bostock getting as a premium first and foremost over the others? I think they do that well. I've got a man crush on those boys, so I think they do a great job. <laughs> yeah. um, but 
I also feel that, you know, for us, I'm not saying it's impossible. I should, we, we were the ones that want to do that. So that's what we're going after. I guess it's, um, I guess when I was talking there, I was probably talking at the macro level. Like it's, it's fine yeah. for us and the bow stocks in the first two or three to the market, but that's not going to have intergenerational change for New Zealand, is it? You know, having three mm, or four that have I done see what it. You're so, yeah. yeah, I guess people that centralise themselves in the middle of New Zealand that think that we could just value add every product that we do in New Zealand. Well, that, that's bollocks, you know. It's very, very difficult. But I believe there's a massive market for um, ethically produced dairy in New Zealand and we're going to go after it. You know, they're good for you, good for the planet. If there's an opportunity for that, we want to target that. Awesome. I feel like there's so many things I could talk to you about, but I'm conscious of time. So keen to hear from you I ask most of my guests this like what does the future look like to you if we get to 2050 what does our food and fiber sector look like well you know it's a hard question to ask because I think the next 10 years is going to be really critical for New Zealand so New Zealand is becoming more reliant on agriculture like we've probably been for a 15 year period where we haven't been that reliant on agriculture we've had enough uh, buoyancy low debt levels that we've been able to, as a New Zealand, we've been able to live a very, very prosperous life with agriculture just ticking along. Whereas you look where we are now, we've got you know, 100 times more debt or 1,000 times more debt as a country. We're going to rely heavily on export to bring income into New Zealand. So I think we're at an era in New Zealand where uh, farmers are at a divergence. Do we go and double down on our productivity benefits of cl- the changing climate? Like we could be producing bananas and south and soon, do we go down that road or do we go down this regenerative route and try and take value add? And I think the consensus from farmers is that we're going to double down and go harder at, at this kind of more from less or even more from even less. Uh, but secondly, as a country, you know, we are starting to, I believe we're at a divergence where we're beca- agriculture is going to become more of a poignant help to New Zealand. You know, it's going to be our competitive edge to get us through some of the tougher uh, climatic, economical climatic challenges that we've got ahead. So I think um, agriculture over the next 10 years, we've also got ageing infrastructure in agriculture like cow sheds and Canterbury. Are we going to replace them or are we going to do something different? So I believe by 2035, we'll have a really, really interesting view on what 2050, but I believe agriculture in New Zealand is always going to have a very prosperous future. Uh, Like A changing climate will only benefit New Zealand's agriculture scene because we're so abundant of water uh, and will only enhance our ability to produce low-cost food for the markets. But that's completely different to being a value-add, high-value producer, and I guess we've got to decide in New Zealand and the ultimate people to decide will be the consumers. And at the moment, all consumers want cheap food, don't they? So I think it's going to railroad us down, producing a lot of food for the cheapest we can and getting it to market for as cheap as we can. And a lot of people may be disappointed by that comment because we all get caught up in the fairy tale of trying to add value to products. And don't get me wrong, if we can add more value, let's do it. But I think New Zealand is always going to go back to its roots of being very, very low cost producers and we've got to continue to refine that. We're too far away from the market, in my opinion, to do something different. It's okay for some. I think 2050 won't look too much different to what we are. Like My brother hasn't been on farm for 10 years, right? So he used to work for me and Kerry 10 years ago. He's been too busy offshore with his job. He come back. He just spent last week with us. He went down the farm and he said, those motorbikes are quiet. And I said, oh, they're electric. Wow, what the hell? You know, when I was driving like a bloody mud bug that had about 3,000 emissions a second like 10 years ago, now you've got an electric motorbike. He walked in the cow shed and he's like, what's those things around the cow's necks? I said, oh, it's their collars. They're telling us, you know, they're like, a, they're like an Apple Watch. 
And he goes, oh, what's that thing over there? I said, oh, it's a thing called ProTrack. It's been around for years. What does it do? It does this, show them all the data. That was in 10 years, and he was blowing off his socks, I think. So in 10 years' time, who knows what we could be doing, you know? There's probably So we've come a long way. Yeah, we have, and it's really it's awesome to be able to reflect on that, eh, because like, we get – you know, just in our daily lives, we're like, we need to be doing more and which, you know, we do. But when you when you do take that time to look back and say where have we come from in the last 10 years, it is a nice reminder that we are in a position where we can adapt and be resilient and do things differently as we need to. Um, last question, Reese, before we wrap up. Any kind of key messages or takeaways for New Zealand farmers and growers that are listening? Oh, I think for me, it's be proud to be a food producer. You know, it's such it is an amazing uh, sport we play. You know, and it's so exciting. You know, we we deal with challenges that a lot of people don't even understand the complexity of some of the challenges we are. So, be proud to be a farmer. You know, it's a, it is a really, really noble career and noble choice. And I guess you know, it's been really disheartening for me. I'll, I'll tell you a story. And, and my wife and I were over in Fiji not long ago, and one of the people, the people in the car was like, "Oh, what are you doing?" Kerry was like, "Oh, you know, we live in Ashburton." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, what do you do?" Oh, we're dairy farmers, and f- worked out they were dairy farmers, and they actually, you know, they had a go at my wife. You know, like, why aren't you proud? You know, and it's a real shame. So I guess for me, that took me back and thought, "Hey, look, you know, what can we do more as, as farmers?" And I think together we should be really proud to be food producers. So I think for me. One thing we want to do at Align is, you know, grow fascination in agriculture by using our platform we've got um, to do better and continue to do better. And it's not around trying to push the boat out. It's around trying to – a rising uh, tide lifts all boats rather than just trying to be a speedboat, trying to be ahead of everyone. Uh, so be proud, uh, be nimble, and, um, you know, what got us here won't get us there is a common theme that, I, you know, it's, a, it's an old term, but it's a term that I absolutely love, like – you know, we can't rely on last 50 years um, solutions to be the solutions to the next 50 years problems. So we've got to continue to engage the next generation because they, you don't have to go too far to the young generation to not hear about climate change, you know, and that's going to be massive over the next, our, the next people we employ, the next people that own our farms will be passionate about climate change. So we need to do our part in that. So that's probably the next frontier for our business is how can we, showcase uh, of the opportunity there. And um, there is an opportunity in climate change. Like five years ago, maize wasn't even growing in the South Island. Now it's the most dominating cultivar. So uh, there's opportunity in climate change. Don't be afraid of it. But uh, we do need to do our bit. Yeah, you're going to be a banana farmer soon. Hopefully. Yeah, I think they make a lot of money. (laughs) Rhys, thank you so much. I always get so fizzed talking to people like you on this podcast because it gives me, fills me with optimism and I know that we're in really good hands. So um, thank you for sharing your insights and thank you to your business for what you're doing to be able to share data and insights across your, your farming platform and even in your brand space. So it's been really interesting to hear from you. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Rabo Talk's Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rubberbank.co.nz.